And I realized at that time that it was the act of creating that was a tool in itself. And it's just something that we all inherently have within us. So if we could pair that with intention, then we would actually have a tangible way to control our thoughts. And we'd have a tangible action to help us get to the other side of whatever the problem is. Welcome to your Journey to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski, and I'm on a mission to help you find joy in the chaos of life. As a retired nurse, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and mom of four adult children, I know what it's like to feel the overwhelm of it all and wonder if and when the joy will show up again. And I've learned it's up to us to go find that joy. On this show, you will hear inspiring stories from those who have overcome all kinds of life challenges, tips on how to stay healthy and vibrant during the ups and downs of life, and simple ways on finding joy in your own life. Let's face it, life is messy, yet when we travel together on this journey, support and encourage each other along the way, that joy starts to show up again. I'm so excited to lead you on this journey of you to find the joyful life that you deserve. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. Always great to have you come back and listen. And these are my favorite days when I bring on a guest. I continue to talk about helping people through hearing their stories of their struggles of life and how they have found joy through all of that, how they have juggled that and how they've come out on the other side and what they've created as a result of their story and their experience in life. And today, Danielle, um, Damrell is is joining us today. I met uh, Danielle, let's see what, six months ago or so at an event, a women's event. And um, we are continuing to get to know each other and we are so similar. If you know Enneagrams and astrology, we are pretty much the same in that. And uh, so love her because uh, I love myself and uh, really <laughs> love discovering more about all of that connection. But today, um, as we connected, um, as I have learned so often, everyone has a story and uh, Danielle has a story that I haven't heard much of, but she's been so brave to say, I'm going to come on and share her story and her struggle through an eating disorder. and really how she's created a beautiful life in the world of creative processing, which you will learn more about that as she um, describes that and really what that is all about. And so thank you for joining me today, Danielle. And um, I just can't wait to hear what you have to share with us and my audience today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be here. I don't share very often about my eating disorder story. So I'm a little bit nervous myself, to be honest, but I like it's my story. Nobody else knows it better right. than I do. So I'm I'm happy to be here to share it. Yeah, I give you uh, the kudos for being brave because it is it is sometimes um, difficult to share our stories. There's some shame behind it. Uh, there can be and um, and really not knowing um, what I've learned over the last three years of hearing people's stories and telling mine. Sometimes we're not sure what we should share or what's the most important to share. And so, and maybe it's a big, big story and you don't want to share it all. But what I say to my guests is just share what feels most comfortable, what's coming up today that you feel is most important along that journey. We don't like to share all those crappy details and stuff like that because that's yeah. not really necessary. It's really about perhaps how things started for you and perhaps what you learned how you came to that point to say, you know what, I don't want this anymore. I want a different life. I want a better life. And then those things that we put in our tool belt to help us show up 
stronger mm-hmm. every day to be able to get through to that next step. I'll just start with, I grew up in a pretty, for lack of better words, toxic environment. I had a childhood that there was a lot of physical violence and there was a lot of emotional and verbal, all, all of the, pretty much every form of abuse you can think of was somehow a part of my childhood all going growing up. So I also was big. Like I was a big kid. I was 120 pounds in second grade. And I remember stepping on the scale in second grade, which my daughter is seven now. So like, they're still little kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember stepping on the scale and being like, if I can just stay this weight for my entire life, then one day I'll be normal. And Mm that that one thought has like stayed with me as even though I was so young at the time. And I think it it morphed into something actually uh, an unhealthy core belief for me. And in my my parents were split up. My mom and my dad were never married. I went back and forth. My dad was a very healthy person. My mom was uh, pretty absent, like even when she was around, she was absent. And so I was left to just like fend for myself, choose what I ate. Sometimes I would just have like grated Parmesan cheese in my hand and I would just, that's what I would eat for dinner and so, or like corn dogs or things that, that just weren't nutritious. But then when I'd go to my dad, he was very like, he tried to be caring, but he also just, he's a great friend and person, but he's not a great parent. And he knows that he's admitted that himself. But he would like try to make or try to have me eat like all of these green smoothies. And so I would be really sick. So for the majority of my young childhood, I was not only was I overweight, but I was also really sick all the time, throwing up, catching illnesses, getting tonsillitis, getting anything and everything. I would catch it. I'd get really sick. Sometimes I'd end up in the hospital. Um, And at one point, a doctor had told my parents like, You can't have her give her such drastically different diets like that's not helping. But I knew that my dad saw me as bigger and that he wanted me to be a normal sized kid. He wanted me to be athletic. I knew that it didn't matter what I looked like to my mom because she didn't see me in general. So by the time I was 10, I had really developed this really strong self-hatred for myself. Like I just didn't see anything beautiful about me. I hated my life. I went to school. I was bullied. Kids would say things like, don't sit on me. You'll kill me. And so all of those things would just like, every time someone would say something like that about my weight, it just kind of added another brick to this wall that I was building. And so by the time I was 10, I had been in, I was in fifth grade. I switched schools because the bullying had gotten so bad. And I had told my mom, um, if you don't, put me into a private school because I had been in Catholic school when I was younger. If you don't put me back into a private school, I'm going to kill myself. And I was only 10 at the at that time. So I got into Catholic school and I went from being bullied to being the bully. And then I also realized that I could choose to stop eating at school. I could choose to stop eating in front of anyone. So in sixth grade, um, my teachers really noticed that. And they noticed that I was starting to drop weight pretty significantly Um, They called my mom. Nothing really ever came of that except for the fact that I continued hating myself more and more. And I knew that if I stopped eating, then I would lose weight. That was the only thing. Like I was in sports. I was always pretty active, but it was the eating portion that kept the weight on. So 
um, in seventh, at the end of seventh grade, I was still in the Catholic school. I got expelled and I ended up going to another Christian school in the area. And I was devastated. It was like, cause school was my safe place. That was the only place that I felt like I was safe. Like, so when they say like kids act up the most at home because that's where they feel safe. Like, no, I acted up the most at school because that's where I felt safe. So losing that school was like earth shattering, soul crushing for me. I felt so lost and I felt so disgusting um, about everything I had ever done and about who I was as a person. And so when I got into this new school, that weird eating at really looking back, it, it was anorexia, um, had had a full grasp on my life. Like I would, I went on a retreat with a new school and I didn't eat for three days straight because I was around people. And I was like, no, I don't eat in front of people. Like I don't, I don't eat in front of people. I'm not going to be bullied for my weight. Like I, if this is what I can do to control how people view me, then I will do that. And so that carried on. I got, I actually started on, I was put on an antidepressant um, in eighth grade and that antidepressant made me throw up every morning. And mm. so my eating disorder morphed into bulimia. And so from eighth grade until sophomore year of high school, I was expelled two more times in between there, suspended countless others, constantly in trouble, also very ill. Like I was sick just constantly and I was throwing up. It, it had increased from just like once or twice a day to by the time I was a sophomore, I was throwing up 12 times a day. And they had done, my doctor had done like an exploratory surgery to see like what the damage was and attached a camera to my esophagus. And they did a colonoscopy and did all of these tests. And I, she sat me down in her office after she got the results and she said, Danielle, if you don't go to treatment, you're going to die. You're killing yourself. You're going to die soon. And thankfully, I had already applied to go to a treatment facility in Nashville, um, a Christian treatment facility. I didn't really know much about it, but because I had been expelled from school twice, the principal gave me a stack of treatment facilities the second time and was like, Danielle, I really think you need some help. Because at that time, it, it was def I had this eating disorder that was killing me that I was using to kill myself, really. But I also had a variety of other traumas that I needed to work through. It wasn't just because mm -hmm. I had this eating disorder. So um, at 15, I packed up, moved across the country by myself to this treatment facility, and I walked in the doors and I made the decision when I walked in, like, I will never purge again. I will never binge and purge again. But <laughs> because I had this history, I was on they called it couch watch, right? So like after <clears throat> after lunch, you had to sit on the couch for an hour and do homework assignments and different things to make sure you didn't throw up. But it was during that time that I really realized that like my worth was so much more than how I looked on the outside. And it's really where, one, I developed a relationship with the Lord, which I have a really strong faith. So that's been really pivotal in my recovery journey and in, in my journey to find joy. But it also... I also developed a lot of coping skills to deal with the triggers that would come up that would make me want to stop eating. So that was a really pivotal time in my life. Turns out I got kicked out of that treatment facility oh, no. because of behavior. 
because I was still a bully. I was, I still had a lot of like things that I just, I wanted to work through. Everyone knew I wanted to work through them, but my, it was like, my actions were just so not aligned with my words. And at some point, like there are rules. If you break the rules, you got to go. And because this treatment facility was like, you have to choose to be there. They also had to protect the people who had chosen to be there. Mm -hmm. Right. So I got kicked out. I ended up living with a host family for like 11, I think it was like 11 months. And during that time, I lost a lot of weight. But instead of binging and purging like I had done prior, I went back to like not eating or limiting my calories to like 300 a day and running because the other kids that lived in this house, like they were very active. And I was like, oh, well, if they go running, I'll go running. And so I just like got stuck stuck in a cycle of comparison, even with them. And I got kicked out of that house. And it was just like one thing after another, after another. And it really was self-destructive behavior. Like I would spiral quickly. And a lot of it, I think, did have to do with the fact that I just wasn't nourishing my body well. I didn't have the things that you need for your brain to function well. So so that's really my childhood story and experience with the eating disorder. After I was kicked out of that house, Unfortunately, I was raped and I gained a hundred pounds in a year after that. And since then, I've just kind of been on this, this journey of trying to like figure out what health is. I had, I got pregnant with my daughter at 19 and that's really when things changed. And I was like, no more, no more. We're going to find skills that make us stable. We're going to find tools that, and people that can support us how we are, um, we're gonna love our body for what it has provided. I have a beautiful baby, healthy mm-hmm. seven-year-old now daughter. Um, and so yeah, I've just been on a journey of discovery and self-love, practice mm-hmm. figuring out how I can practice self-love, even though my body doesn't look exactly how I would love for it to look. But I also know that the way that I've tried to go about fixing that in the past has been very unhealthy. So it's way more important for me to prioritize my mental health and my mental stability over other people's perceptions on what my body looks like. It's brilliant. People can rewind and listen to that one more time or two more times because <laughs> I mean, it, it is, it's, it's very true. And I'm, um, you know, I'm sorry about what happened to you. And, um, and yet what popped out to me was a few things that, <clears throat> you know, you weren't, you weren't given a very good example from either parent of really how to live your life, you know, as a child to grow up and to be a teenager, to go to school, to deal with relationships, to deal with your body, with eating. I mean, like you said, absent mother, you know, healthy dad who really didn't know how to be present either or to be a parent or connect and have that relationship. So you didn't have those examples because sometimes you're like, oh, you know, all this stuff happened. Well, there are patterns that happen in our life and people, you know, our, I was just speaking with somebody before, you know, this morning and we talked about those generational patterns and those generational behaviors, if not, if you will, that just, they happen. And so we try to give grace to everybody and they were doing the mother, your mother was doing the best that she could and your father and whatever, those are things that I can say, you know, from this outside perspective. Um, But the fact of the matter is you weren't given too many tools. And you were thrown yeah. into a school um, where kids also don't know how to behave. And so, yeah. again, you sometimes I would always say to my kids, I have my four kids growing up, like sometimes people are mean to you 
because if they make you feel bad, then they feel a little bit better about themselves because they're kind of feeling bad about themselves or they're unhappy or they're mad or whatever. They don't know how to yeah. express it. So they become the bully or then some, they, sometimes they become bullied, whatever. So that's what I hear, heard coming out of there that you just didn't have, you know. But again, I also was like, I've also heard enough, you know, like aren't it wasn't your body calling for help, right? When you were having these health issues, you know, when you were acting out emotionally, but you're also having these health issues, your body was screaming for help. Exactly. You were screaming for help. Your body was screaming for help. Help. And I don't know if people heard it, like you couldn't make the right choices because you were so malnourished. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when you are, when you have an eating disorder, be it any of those forms of them, anorexia, bulimia, purge, binge, all that thin, big, anywhere in between, like when you're a malnourished brain can't make really rational decisions. And, um, and it does, it's a, something that takes over and takes over that control, um, and tries to control us. And, and we're trying to control control our own lives by doing this. Cause especially I think for children who have have eating disorders, like a lot of times it does just root from the fact that we're just trying to get control over something because Mm -hmm. everything in our lives is out of our outside of our control. Nobody sees us. Nobody cares. Nobody's feeding us. Nobody's showing us how to be loved or get or to love. And so in in that attempt to just like be a normal person, the the most normal thing I could think of as a 10 year old was, well, I could go try to look like a normal person. Mm -hmm. I could go try to look like Susie, who seems to have a beautiful, perfect life and her family loves her a lot. Maybe my family would love me more if I looked like a normal kid. Mm -hmm. Normalcy was this thing that I just wanted so, 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 so bad. Yeah. In my attempt to get that, it was just like I can I can only control what I can control. And at that time, I could control what went in my mouth. And that's a very again, it's a very common, common story. I mean, that's very similar to what um, happened with me when I went, went away to college, you know, with just, again, those things that I didn't, um, I didn't know how, I just didn't have the self-confidence to kind of stand up and I didn't have a great relationship, uh, an open relationship with my mother that I felt like I could share and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. You know, my friends want to drink. I don't, you know, I'm not supposed to drink. Right. And my boyfriend wants to have sex. We're not supposed to have sex. Like, you know, in, in the, in the academics were tough. And so it's like all of these things happening, and again, I don't know how it happened, but oh, same thing. I could choose to eat that or not eat that because I do have that control over that. And that right. so much happens. Um, there's, there's a reason why these things start to happen because we yeah. look at grabbing control of something and um, and just that idea of, okay, like I don't want to eat around other people or I don't want to be seen doing this. And we talked before, like, because we're, you know, we have this self-comparison thing inside of us. You know, we're always comparing ourselves to other yeah. other people. People would give me attention when I wouldn't eat, especially at school, right? Like if I was the only kid in the in the lunchroom that wasn't eating anything, it was guaranteed that a teacher was going to come up to me and tell me that I need to eat to nourish my... And like, that was the only interactions that I got of that type. Yeah. So I was like, well... yeah. Okay, well, then I'm going to continue to not eat so that somebody will see me, right? so that somebody will teach me, so that somebody would show me an ounce of love even. So that that really enabled it to continue as I got older into my teen years. Right. Yeah. And again, I can imagine because I've 
been through the experience, then you have to go to the doctor and then you have to go to another doctor. And again, is mm-hmm. as, as odd as that may sound to people like you are, you're getting attention and you're starving for attention and you're starving for that love. And so you got some attention that way. So you're just like, I'm just going to keep doing that yeah. type of thing. And I just finished reading, uh, what is it called? Where the crawdads sing? You know that I've book? Heard, I've heard of it. I've never read it though. It's a it's a book that's been around for a long time. And the only the thing that popped up when you were talking is that there's a girl that lives in the marsh, and she's the marsh girl. And then there's the town folks and stuff. And you know, there's all kinds of there's yeah. a whole big story behind it. But she sometimes, um, I mean, she reacted to people because of things that happened to her. Like people, everybody that loved her left. Her mom left siblings left, ended up father left, then a boyfriend left. And so she just didn't trust anybody. She closed herself off, you know, and the way that she would react to people like this overreaction and this outburst is because of all of this anger that was inside of her because the people that she loved left her, you know, and that she couldn't trust anybody. So those are the kind of things that uh, I think it's a great, you know, intro to like talking about creative processing and how you found that, because those are the kind of things that like, we can talk about like when, you know, one of my friend's moms in high school said to me when she saw me home from a break, she goes, why don't you just eat? Oh my gosh. It's not about eating. It's not right. about eating or not it's eating. So or, much more deep. It's than so that. much more deep because yeah. again, it's that what's underneath that type of stuff. Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skin care, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. And so I've been so intrigued as I've started to learn just a little bit about your creative processing. And I imagine, well, I know that it's something that you found helped you. And so you're sharing that beautiful, what you've learned and how that's helped you. You're sharing that with the world and helping other people. So let's talk about creative processing and what all of that means and how that can help people, how that helped you deal with what was going on underneath those layers um, and how that can help other people. Yes. Well, thank you for letting me talk about this because it is something that I'm so passionate about. And I really think that it's something that was revealed to me. I have been in trauma therapy for so long now, at least 12. I was thinking 12 years, but I was thinking back and I was like, really, maybe like one or two breaks at the very beginning. But I've been in therapy since I was like 11. I think my school was like, she can't come here unless she goes to therapy, (laughs) which fair. So I've learned a lot of different coping skills and tools, but I kept having this problem with using them, like remembering to use them. And also like remembering how do you actually use them? There's so many steps. There's this, there's that you have to do this. You have to quiet this. And it just was overwhelming for me. 
But one thing that has always remained consistent for me is my love for creating. I don't know if your viewers can or your listeners can see, but like behind me is a wall in my podcast studio. It's a mural that I painted. And this is a really good example, I think, of creative processing. I painted this wall to process my podcast, my intention for this podcast. Mm. So that's what creative processing is. It's a it's a tangible tool that combines a lot of different coping skills into one action. So creative processing is a tool that we all can use to activate our creative minds to process a certain intention. So I have come up with a prompt that just like makes it as easy as possible. It's kind of been a hard thing to explain and, and to find words for, but it I use a prompt like the purpose of enter your creative outlet is to process enter your certain intention. So the purpose of painting this mural is to process my heart for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's an example of how I used it, but it's um, something I really started to get the words for. I creative processing, the term kind of landed in my heart in 20... I believe it was in 2021, the beginning of 2021, after I had gone through a really hard season um, where I was struggling with suicidal ideation again. I was struggling with seeing any purpose or value in my life. Even though I had a lot of beautiful things, I just, again, that self-hatred doesn't really go away. You just figure out how you can cope and and learn to love yourself. Self-love is a practice. It's not a destination, right? And so I just had zero self-love at that time. But what I was doing to just get through the next day was painting. I was paint I was doing watercolor painting, which is a very complex form of art because the water, the fluid itself is what actually creates the beauty within the paint. And that mm. made my brain like so happy. So I, if all I could do was just paint beautiful scenes and and at that time I had a art business, so I was painting for people, it made me feel like I had some kind of purpose. And I realized at that time that it was the act of creating that was a tool in itself. And it's just something that we all inherently have within us. So if we could pair that with intention, then we would actually have a tangible way to control our thoughts and we'd have a tangible action to help us get to the other side of whatever the problem is. So that's what a tool is good for, right? Like we can, just as people, a lot of times we can identify what the problem is and where it came from, but we don't really know all the time how we get to that, like how we get to solving that problem. And so that's that's where tools come in of all different kinds, breath work, um, meditation, any kind of tools, right? Different things work for different people, but creating works for me. And it works for a lot of people who have busy minds. So I really, I started my podcast in June, 2021, and I just started talking about creative processing. I started finding words, figuring out ways to talk about it. And then at the end of last year, I started offering creative processing workshops so that I could really show people how to utilize this to gain clarity and to find joy in our lives in a tangible way. Look, the truth is, is that you can be really sad one moment and then have joy in another. We live in a in a world, we live in a life of seasons, I believe. Like some seasons are really hard, some seasons are really beautiful. But we can find joy in both of those seasons, whether you're going through something that's mm-hmm. extremely painful or you're going through a season that's really um, a beautiful. There are going to be times that you still experience pain and joy in both of those seasons. So that's really what, that's the heart of creative processing is it's this tool, this tangible action that we can take 
to gain joy in our lives. And, and it's worked so much for me. I still struggle through bouts of depression and anxiety. I'm not I'm not going to lie. Nothing is a cure-all. It's a process, mm. right? But processing what is coming up in our lives, whether it be your triggers or something that you're grateful for, and doing it in this creative way gives you the ability to look at something and be like, whoa, I had joy in that moment. I had hope in that moment. And now I had this intention that's paired with it that lets that be something that you continue to process and create space for more joy, more clarity, and more love for whatever it is. And one last thing about this, the creative process is different than creative processing. The creative process leads to an external result, right? Like our focus when we are engaging in a creative process, whatever it's for, is to get to that external result. But creative processing leads to an internal result. It's not about how beautiful or pretty or thoughtful the thing is that you created. I, I believe that writing is the most powerful creative processing tool that a lot of us have. Some people don't like to write. That's okay. Paint. Moira, you dance. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. There any, however you engage your creative mind, and for some people it's creating spreadsheets or different different things. It's that act of creating that brings that healing measure. So that's I just wanted to make that that clear that creative process leads to an external result. Creative processing is leading to an internal result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good uh, distinction. It's really again to help people understand it a little bit more, at least, and you can join me in this, in that you're giving, um, because I when I think about journaling, because again, I created a journal because journaling has been obviously a creative process that I've gone through. I think the most uh, profound journaling that I've done is when somebody gives me a prompt, whatever it is. Yeah. If I could imagine, you know, or says, okay, why don't you talk like it's the end of the year? And you're celebrating the end of the year. So journal about that or whatever it is. Or if I can imagine my life as whatever it is, whatever the prompt is. A guided journey. A guided journey, right. And I found that when I did a workshop with you, same thing. You had us think about the house that is me. Is that the one you're thinking? Yeah, the house that is me, right. The house that is me. It was really interesting because I could have gone to, even when I'm thinking about it today, I could have gone to like mapping out what just popped up and like mapping out like different rooms um, in the house and the idea that this is maybe the room that's a little sad because of this, or this is the room that's happy because it has this in it or whatever. And, but that night, all I could think of was the house that I've imagined that's on my dream board, if you will, or in my dream world of really what I'd love to create and and manifest in the future. And that's all I could think of that night and that's what came out. We you said, okay, yeah. got 10 minutes, go draw. And I I sketched it out like because I knew exactly the way it looked like. And it was just a very powerful and I got emotional when I was thinking about it. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I keep imagining. And this is what I want to create. Right. You know, which for me, and again today I think about like I guess I could have created because I couldn't even think that day of what you were really trying to have us do like presently with a house, and it just popped in my head. Well, maybe that's how you could do it. You can do it however you want, 
right? Right. But that's what processed through my head at that point, that that's what I needed. And that's what was so powerful that I created right in front of me. Yes. And the intention for that specific workshop that you came to was to process play, how we play as adults and how that's an integral, it it needs to be an integral part of our lives in order to create space and room for joy right? Like if Mm -hmm. we're not playing, I know that play is often associated with kids, but the truth is, is that we as adults need playtime. We need time where we're able to to process and, and to do things that we genuinely enjoy. But if we're not even creating space for how we begin to play, then how are we going to do that? So that's what I love to do with these creative processing workshops is I love to give a really clear container. My prompts are pretty detailed, but you can take them however you want. But I also give examples so that I'm not just leading you in the dark. In in the free workshop I do every month, one of the first prompts is identify five characteristics about you, five core qualities about you. But instead of saying, identify five core qualities about you, okay, go. I say, okay, I'm going to provide you a list of over a hundred qualities for you to think through, pray over, do whatever you need to do and identify which ones of these connect with you. And then tell me why they matter. Why do you Mm -hmm. think that those core qualities within yourself matter? So giving people not only the prompt, but the ability to carry out that prompt without the anxiety of like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? No, I I want you to just go do the processing because that's what's going to lead you to the result. Right. Because- often we're given a task to do or a prompt to do something and we just do it, right? Because we come from our head, we want to get it done. Is that the right way to do it? Is that the right way to do? But what you're providing for people and opening up that space for is like, okay, here's some examples and like, feel it, right? Feel it into your heart. Like what feels good to you? What can, what really resonates with you and all of that, as opposed to like, just tell me five, get it done, all that kind of stuff. Cause that's not- What does that matter? Right. What does that matter? That's not doing any healing. That's not doing any discovering of really who you truly are. Right. But when you do this processing work of thinking and resonating and feeling, right, that's when you do the discovery. And yeah, you know, I went, I talk about going through doing a a mindfulness-based stress reduction course, which I just love the, there was so much to it. I just, it always comes up that it's the word that she mentioned about noticing. There was a point that we got to where we talked about noticing, like you do the meditation, you do the processing, like what's coming up and notice that. Slow down, stop and like notice, like how am I feeling? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Whatever, noticing that? Because so many times we just zip through in life, we get something done and we just go past it. We don't notice. And then we move on to the next thing. And before you know it, we have health issues or mental health issues or things that keep popping up because we haven't taken enough time to notice like what the hell is going on and why are we acting this way? Why are we feeling this way? Why are we doing these things? Um, And that's what I love about this whole idea of processing because you're giving, you're opening up that space for people. Like you said, let's open up this container, go and sit in there and figure these things. Take some time to think. Yeah. I'm calling it a a new way to practice self-care because sometimes I also think that sometimes therapy is self-care. And sometimes we have this like aversion to wanting to do the things that we know are going to help us. Right. And I know that that's a thing with these creative processing workshops sometimes is like, do I really want to sit in this workshop and be guided through this? And like, does that really matter? But then I've had so many people tell me it's the after effect of like, oh my gosh, I I did the work. And like, now I can be proud of myself because I not only do I know how to do the work, I have new skills, 
but I actually can celebrate the fact that I already did it, which then empowers you to do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And eventually creative processing hopefully will become like muscle memory because it's a tangible action, right? Because you can say you need to notice what's going on inside. But for me, I'd be like, uh, like my brain's going so fast at every given moment. How am I ever going to like stop it to notice that? But my brain stops when I'm about to create something, which then reminds me, oh, I can engage in creative processing in this moment. So all I need to do is create the thing I was going to create anyway, but I'm going to put an intention with it. Mm -hmm. It's the act of noticing and interrupting that thought pattern so that then you can change it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Which is like, I could go on a tangent all kinds of ways, but every, almost every single tool that I've done a deep dive into and learned about, it's like, whoa, like this is the this is kind of maybe a missing puzzle piece for a lot of these tools is like, okay, but like, where's the tangibility of like practicing this? Because I can know it, but like mm-hmm. it it needs to become like muscle memory for it to actually help you. Right. Well, and referring to dance, you know, that's what they talk about. Like we do these steps over and over again to then to put it into muscle memory so that when you go out and dance again, it's just, it doesn't matter who you dance with, right? Whoever the lead is, um, whatever the music is, you have that in your muscle memory and it just- And you can enjoy it more, right? Right, right. You can be present there because you're like not worrying about the next step to take because you just, your body knows when you put on a waltz and you hear the waltz, it's like, okay, well, I just know how to do a closed bronze open waltz routine because I've been doing it forever. But right. it's that muscle memory. And again, I think that's the brilliance of what you're doing. Again, it's not just like, okay, this, 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 and this, but in order for things to change and for things to stick and stuff like that, for us to learn, we've got to create that, you know, yeah. muscle memory in there. And, um, and I think what you you know, I noticed what you said with you've been tr- doing trauma work for a while. Like this isn't like work doesn't like our healing doesn't stop. You know, it mm-hmm. just keeps going on. And at least what I've noticed in my journey is that I discover something new and I work through that. And that helps me deal with another layer of something else that's popping up and going on. And then we just keep going on. And it's never this, you know, perfection that we get to no. life is grand. Now I'm over. I mean, you know, it's like, that's when we die, right? Pretty much we're done. Yeah. You know, cause like we're got to the end, but yeah. there isn't any like, Oh, we're, you know, there's a big discussion about, can you be fully recovered or not? And all that. And we're not, I'm not, not necessarily talking about that. I'm just talking about the journey of life that sometimes we're looking at this perfection of that we have to get to in order for us to be happy, right? In order for Mm -hmm. us to be joyful. And yet what I've discovered in my own life and really put out there into the world is that just go, go work on finding the joy because it's out there and it's out there and it's out there and it could be this today. And then maybe it's something else the next time. Exactly. It's up to us to go out there and pursue it and find it and just live in create that moment it. go create, create it right the joy that's and that yeah. like not to tie it again back to creative processing but that's what we're, we're all doing we're creating things every single day and even if you don't think you're a creative just go tell someone your story and i promise creativity is going to show up all throughout it because we create our reality right right mm-hmm. so that's where it just process what you're creating boom right Well, and I thought, you know, when I talk about, again, just my journey the last many years with 
being a mom with someone who struggled and, you know, an entrepreneur with a growing business and four kids and all this stuff. Like I was waiting for things to get better, <laughs> waiting for the joy to come back. Like I kept saying that, like, when is it going to, where, where is it? And then I realized that it's up to me and it's up to you and it's up to, it's in you and it's in us. Right. And that's why, again, we're in the process and I don't know when this is going to air, but you know, that's why I have this, like joy has become this big word for me and it's become the journey of you because that's what we're doing. We're journeying through life and discovering ourselves and pulling these things out that are already, my husband would say years ago, well, happiness comes from within. I'm like, oh, shut up, you know, <laughs> but it's true, right? It is we have true. All, we, have, we have all that stuff inside of us. It's already there. We just need to tap into it. Right. We need to have the ability and the skills and the tools or whatever it takes to tap into that within ourselves. Like we really do have everything we need. We're equipped with everything we need to have the life that we want. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, you know, like there's going to be steps and things that need to happen, opportunities that need to grow, but those things are there. Right. They're there. It starts with going within and being like, I care about myself enough to do the things that I might not feel like I want to do, but I'm going to do them anyway, because I know mm -hmm. I'm worth it. I right. know that the joy is possible. I know that I can weed through the chaos of my life and still find joy. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. That's a great ending to all of this. You know, you and I could chat for hours Yeah, and I look forward to more of these discussions, but thank you for coming on here today to talk through that, to be brave enough to share your story um, with others, because I know that again, they're powerful and the messages are, can help other people feel like they're not alone and that there is hope for them. And again, I love what you have created with your life and to help other people create, you know, with their lives too. So um, tell people where they can find you and just, yeah, if they want to do connect with you and again, what you offer, cause you do have some of those free things yes. um, and just any kind of last words, although those, those last few sentences were <laughs> just some perfect last words there. Well, I, I'll just let your listeners know where to find me. I am most active on Instagram at Danielle Damrell, traditional spelling of Danielle Damrell, D-A-M-R-E-L-L. -L. And I post every month about the free workshop. I announced the date on there. I keep my links in my bio pretty updated. So if you're interested um, in joining a creative processing workshop, I'm hosting those monthly. So you can go find that information on there. I'm also the host of the Created Worthy podcast. So if you want more life stories, real life life stories, that's what we do on there. Um, women come on from all ages, backgrounds, and experiences and just share where they're at in life. And it doesn't have to be this big I've arrived story. Sometimes um, the most encouragement is found in the stories that are most vulnerable and they don't always have a pretty happy ending. So I would encourage you to come listen to Created Worthy. Yeah. Connect with me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, all the places at Danielle Damrell. Um, and yeah, I would love to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Danielle. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Again, I'm just so grateful that we connected and, um, you know, I just love learning. So I love learning these new tools and that's what I really hope to 
that my listeners hear too, that these are, regardless of what type of um, journey of life or roller coaster of life you're on, um, there are tools and I encourage you to find the one that resonates best with you mm -hmm. that can help you through this journey of life and know that there is joy out there. And it's really, it starts right here from within. So, so thanks for sharing today. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And um, and again, thank you listeners for coming back and listening and continue to share these. That's the best way that you can thank us um, is to just share this podcast with others, write a raving review um, on iTunes and share it with your friends who really need to hear these messages. So we continue to that, get that message of hope and joy out with others. So we'll talk to you next time. Hey there, ready to live a more joyful life? Considering connecting with someone who can help you? If so, I'd like to be that person. I offer a free consultation where we determine where the chaos is in your life and how you can learn to bring more joy each and every day. Visit my website, moiragorski.com, or simply email me, moira at moiragorski.com, with more joy in the subject line. I look forward to connecting, and I'm here to say there will always be some chaos, which requires a little juggling, but you can find joy and live your life intentionally filled with that joy. Let me help you on your journey to joy. And that's joy, the journey of you.